Thank you all for being here today. As I mentioned earlier, we are bringing a six-part message series to its conclusion today. And this message series has been called Unoffendable. And it is based on the book by Brant Hansen called Unoffendable. And our goal in this message series is to become unoffendable. That's right. That's what we're working towards, toward the goal of becoming unoffendable. Because being offended, being offendable, it's a liability. When we get all outraged or angry or offended, it doesn't make us stronger. It doesn't make us more capable. It makes us weaker. So our goal in this series is to become unoffendable. And for those of us who are being outraged, it gets in the way of our being able to love other people. I mean, how are you going to do it? How are you going to love somebody if you're offended by them, right? How are you going to share the gospel with someone if you're too offended about what they're doing or how they're living their lives? And so our goal is to become undefendable so that we can effectively share the gospel and effectively share love with one another, share love with people who are like us and people who are not like us. That's the goal. As we've made our way through this series, we've talked about this from a number of different angles. In part one of this series, we talked about this myth of righteous anger and how we believe that there are certain things that we are supposed to be angry about and that can happen in the Christian community and it can happen outside of the Christian community. This idea that when there's been some kind of an injustice or some kind of wrong or some kind of sin that we are supposed to be outraged, that we are supposed to be offended, but that's a myth. If you look to what Scripture has to say, if you look to what the Bible has to say, yes, there is such a thing as righteous anger, but it belongs to God and not to us. If you read what Scripture has to say about anger when it comes to human beings, there's nothing good about it. It makes us weak, right? We have to get rid of this. And Paul tells us that if we're going to experience anger, that when we're angry, don't let it lead to our sin and get rid of that anger before the sun goes down. And James tells us, as Brett quoted in his prayer this morning, James tells us that anger, human's anger, does not produce the righteousness that God desires. And so it's a myth, the fact that, hey, yeah, we're supposed to be angry about certain things. No, we're not. No, we're not. Our anger does not make us stronger. It makes us weaker. In part two of the series, we talked about what humans are like. And here we are, those of us who are Christians, we have this belief. It's fundamental to our belief system. We have this belief that people are not basically good. I mean, we want to believe that we're basically good, but it's just that our behavior has shown us that people are not basically good. And we believe that we need a Savior. We need a hero to intervene on our behalf. And that's why Jesus came down to this earth to die on a cross for our sins. We need that Savior because we are not basically good. And then... We get ourselves all shocked and surprised when people act like they're not basically good. Why do we, why do, we do that? Why are we surprised when people act like people? <laughs> we shouldn't let that shock us or offend us or surprise us. No, instead, we should be surprised when we see people not acting like people, when we see people acting like Jesus, when we see people who are being selfless and generous and loving, and kind, that's the kind of thing that should surprise us. And it's a wonderful, wonderful surprise when we see people acting like Jesus. Part three of our message series, we talked about this connection, and maybe it's not an obvious connection, but this connection between allowing ourselves to be offended and a lack of trust in God, because there's this thing that exists in all of us. We have this desire for justice, don't we? We have this desire for justice, and we want to see the bad guys punished, and we want to see the good guys win. That's just how it is. But in this world, in the short term, we see these acts of injustice, and we allow them to upset us and bother us and offend us, and we have this temptation. We want to put on that powdered wig. We want to pick up that gavel, and we want to deem ourselves to be the judge, and we want to render judgment over other people. 
But when we give that gavel over to God, it belongs to Him. When we let God be the judge and trust Him to be the judge, our feeling offended begins to melt away because we can trust in God and in His ability to exercise justice and to render a just judgment. Part four of this series, we talked about what we should actually do about injustice, and we addressed another myth. There's this myth that exists in our society that expressing outrage over injustice is the same thing as doing something about it. Well, no. No, it's not. And I'm a big believer in freedom of speech, and I believe in the power of words, and I believe in wanting to, if you have something to say, say it, absolutely, but just don't think that expressing outrage is the same as doing something, yes? Expressing outrage over injustice is not the same as doing something to fight against injustice. And for those of us who are Christians, that's an important thing to be aware of because we have been called to fight against injustice and to help people who are suffering. And so let's not confuse ourselves. Let's not kid ourselves that simply expressing outrage is the same as doing something because it's not, it's not the same. Last week we began to talk about how to actually put all this into practice. I talked to you about some blind spots that we have, yes? And so we can go through life, and we can be intentional, like, I don't want to be the type of person who gets offended, and yet we have these blind spots, yes? And there's this attitude that exists within the Christian community that I've seen, and maybe you've seen it as well, this idea that I can somehow, I can not like this person, but I can still love them the way that Jesus tells me to love people. Have you experienced this type of thing? Remember we talked about this last week? This whole idea of, man, this guy over here, I just don't like him because I don't like his worldview and I don't like his priority and I don't like what he's about, but I'm a Christian, so I'm supposed to love him. So I love this person, but I don't like what they're doing and I don't like what they're about. Can you really do that? Can you love somebody the way that Jesus told us to love other people if you give yourself permission to not like them? I don't think you can. How can you be for somebody? How can you be on their side if you've decided, well, I'm allowed to not like that person? Really? So we talked about that last week and catching those blind spots. And if you find yourself not liking somebody, that means that you are offended by them, by something that they're doing, by something that they are. So we need to let go of this idea that we can somehow not like people but still love them. We can't. We need to be for people. We need to be on, on their side. For the past five weeks... I've been telling you, I even said it earlier today, I've been telling you that we need to become unoffendable so that we can become more effective at loving other people. We need to become unoffendable so that we can effectively share the gospel with other people. But I want to give you another reason today why we should make this our goal, why we should become unoffendable. It's not just for the sake of other people, not just so that you're better at, at loving people and sharing the gospel with other people. It's also for your own sake. It's also for your own sake, not just for the sake of others, but for your own sake. Being unoffendable is a peaceful approach to life. It's a better way, a peaceful way. Don't you want to live a peaceful life? Yes. If I surveyed all the people in the world and say, do you want a peaceful life or a lack of peace in your life? Which would you prefer? We'd all want a peaceful way of life. And so letting go of anger letting go of offense. Yes, it makes us more capable to help other people, but it's also, it's just good for ourselves. It's a better way to live, a more peaceful way to live. Last week, I mentioned to you that as we've been going through this unoffendable message series, I've become more aware of just how big this issue is in my heart and in life in general, just how often we're tempted to get offended over things and how often I face this test of, am I going to let this bother me? Am I going to let this offend me? 
But there's something else I've noticed, another issue that seems to be pretty prevalent in our culture and our community. I've noticed, and maybe you've noticed this too, that there are people in this world who want us to get angry. Have you noticed this? There are people who want us to get offended, who want us to be outraged, who want us to be angry. Many years ago, at, um, at my last church, I was there and I was the pastor of a children's ministry, and um, we had a, a young woman, she was single and she was volunteering, she was working in children's ministry and uh, doing a wonderful job. Well, she was single, and it turns out that she um, started dating somebody, and that relationship got serious, and they ended up moving in together, okay? And so she kept this very quiet, kept it to herself, but there was a couple in the church that found out about this, and they requested a meeting with me. And so um, that's always fun, by the way, when someone requests a meeting with me, and they're not going to tell me what it's about. I'm like, oh, great. So I'll try not to guess. I'll try not to worry about it. Uh, so we sit down. We're in the um, kind of the lounge area of the church, and we sat down. And they said, you know, this, this woman, she's volunteering and she's doing a great job, but we know what's going on in her personal life, and she's made a decision to live with her boyfriend, and we don't know what's happening behind closed doors, but if they're living together, they're probably sleeping together, and so we just wanted to bring this to your attention because we wanted to make sure you were aware of this. Okay. And so I'm told this information, and this is... Um, this is the type of thing you deal with when you're a pastor, the type of thing you deal with when you're in leadership. Um, it's the issue of unrepented sin. Have you heard that term in leadership? There'd be no one leading, yes? But there is this issue of unrepented sin when someone knows what they're doing is wrong and they just keep doing it, right? They know what I'm doing is outside of God's boundaries, but I'm making no effort to get myself back in. I'm just going to park out here and I know this is wrong, but I'm just going to keep doing it anyway. That's, that's unrepentant sin. And when a person is living in unrepentant sin, then we need to have a conversation. That's not somebody that really should be leading other people. That's somebody who should be really focusing inward and receiving help for themselves. Do you understand what I'm saying? Right? And so I hear this information, and um, listen, I don't find this shocking when I'm told, <laughs> because people have been living together since forever, <laughs> And people have been having sex outside of wedlock for forever. So I don't find this shocking. You know, as far as sins goes, it's probably the most common sin of all time. Yes? And so I hear this information. I'm not offended by it. I'm a little bit saddened by it. I have this sense of dread because I know I'm going to have to have a difficult conversation now. But this just so happens to be one of those issues that does not trigger offense in me. Because it is so common and we see it all the time. However, the couple that I was meeting with... This was an issue that triggered offense in them, okay? And so they weren't just politely bringing this to my attention. They were angry about it. How can someone who is serving the church, how can someone make this kind of a mistake and keep it hidden? How could somebody do this? And we should be angry about this. And, this, and you're the pastor of children's ministry. You got to do something. About it. They were just angry over the situation, and I wasn't. And then the conversation shifted a little bit. And they got angry at me for not getting angry at her. I'm like, what is going on now? They were offended that I was not offended. Are you kidding me? And so eventually, by the way, I, I did get angry. I got angry at them, not at her. You know what I mean? Like, why are you trying to make me angry over this? Why do you think that's the response? 
But that's the type of thing that does exist in the Christian community. And just to give you the, the full story there, I did speak with that woman, and we had a tough conversation, and there were tears in that conversation, and she temporarily stepped down, and she got back, and she repented, and that was great. It worked out great, yes? But that couple, they still ended up leaving the church. And I don't know why, but I think my lack of offense had something to do with it. Because sometimes people want you to get angry, and they're frustrated when you don't. Why do, some, why do people want us to get angry? I don't know, have you experienced that with Christians? They want you to get angry over something? Have you ever experienced this? Somebody who just, they want you to be angry. What about the news? Oh. <laughs> what about watching the news? Have you experienced this type of thing? You're watching the news and it feels like the person, that talking head on that screen, they want you to get angry over something? Have you experienced this? If you haven't, this afternoon, go home, put on Fox News, put on CNN, pick your poison, Yes? And before too long, somebody's going to show up on that screen, and they're outraged over something, and they want you to be outraged too. Can you believe, I mean, what these progressives are doing? This is outrageous. Can you believe what these conservatives are doing? We should be angry at them. Why? Why? Why are you trying to stir up our anger? And it feels like we're building communities based on a common anger of the other side. What is going on here? Why do people want us to be angry? When you put on the news, just keep this in mind. It's all those talking heads. It's not their job to solve the problem. That's not what they're doing. They're not in the business of problem solving. They're in the business of making money. And if they're going to make money, they need you addicted to that rage, so you keep tuning in. They want you addicted to that feeling. Let's find out what the other side's doing today. Let's find out what we should be angry about today. Come on. They're manipulating us. What are we doing? How about politicians? They could do the same type of thing, right? Let's all get angry at the other side. Can you believe it's outrageous what the other side is doing? No, it's outrageous what that side is doing. Why do you want us to be angry? Why do you want us to be angry? So many people want this from us. I kind of dread using this example. But what about Hitler? The easiest example of this type of thing. It stirs up the anger points to a common enemy. Everybody's poor, everybody's desperate. Let's point to a common enemy and get angry at them. He manipulated. How many, like an entire nation, he manipulated them with anger. What about preachers? Ooh. Well, guys like me, what about preachers? Preachers can do it too. Stir up anger towards, I don't know, the other side, towards somebody else. I heard this a lot during the pandemic. Did you? Heard this a lot. Preachers trying to make us angry at our government. The government is doing things that are unjust. And the government is not trustworthy. Yeah, I already know that. Why should I be angry about it, right? The government is corrupt. Yeah, probably. Yeah, I know. Well, you want me to be angry about that? Angry over vaccines. We should be promoting vaccines. We should be anti-vaxxers, pro-vaxxers, anti why, why, Preachers, why are you getting involved in this? Watch out. Who are you listening to? I think it's a great idea, by the way, Christians, if you're listening to voices that are not just your own pastors, that's great, but who are you listening to? Are they trying to make you angry? If somebody's trying to make you angry, you have to ask yourself the question, why? Why are you trying to make me angry? Are they manipulating you? Brant Hansen, um, in the video series that goes along with the book, he says, uh, I don't exist to be manipulated. Like, you know what? Neither do I. Do you? Do you exist to be manipulated? Do you want to be manipulated? No. Watch out. 
Watch out for those people that want us to get angry. Our anger doesn't make us more effective. It makes us less effective. Anger doesn't make us better people. It makes us worse. And our being angry isn't good for others, and it isn't good for us. And you have to consider, for those of us who are Christians, you have to consider what's the kind of life that Jesus wants for us. Does he want that angry life? Does he want that outraged life? Does he want that discontent life? And we talked about this in part three. Jesus says, take my yoke upon you. Take my teachings upon you. I'm going to give you rest. My burden is light. He wants us to live in peace. He wants us to live without this anger, constantly feeling offended. Take a look at this passage that's in your bulletin. Deuteronomy. Give you a little context here, okay? So this is the Old Testament, and God has just, essentially, he's just formed a nation, okay? So the Israelites, now they're officially a nation, and they are a true theocracy, and so God has given them their laws. God is their law-making body. God is their final judge. God is their king. And so God has given the Israelites laws to live within, laws that just govern over all elements of life. And now that he's given them all these laws, he says, this day I call the heavens and earth as witnesses against you that I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. And if you read the book of Deuteronomy, that's exactly what God has done. He said, if you do life the way I'm telling you to do life, you will be blessed. If you live within the boundaries that I am giving you, it is for your own benefit because God cares about what's best for the individual and the collective. And God says, do things my way and you win. You will be blessed. Ignore my boundaries. Ignore my way and you will be cursed. The choice is yours. Now choose life. Choose life that you and your children may live. Now this is the Old Testament. This is before Jesus. And the boundaries and the laws, the commands that God gave to the Israelites, they're not the same as the commands that God gives us modern-day Christians. Those of us who are Christians, we have boundaries to live within. And there's some overlap, but they're different. But the same principle applies today. Jesus has told us how to live. He's told us how to be. He's told us how to treat one another. But the choice is ours. We choose to live within his boundaries and experience the blessings and the benefit of living within his boundaries, or will we choose to put ourselves outside of God's boundaries and experience, experience the detriment of living outside the boundaries of God? God has been the same, Old Testament new. He wants what's best for us. He does not want us to live this offended, angry, outraged life does not want that for us. Watch out. Watch out for people that want you to get angry. Watch out for those people. Ask yourself the question, why? Why does that person, why do you want me to get angry? Are you trying to, to rob me of the life that God wants for me? Why are you trying to manipulate me? Why do you want me to be angry? Sometimes people are just trying to share their outrage with you, right? Just so they have a buddy in it. Sometimes they're trying to manipulate. So ask yourself the question, if you find someone that's trying to get you angry, why are you trying to make me angry? You need to watch out for this because you are in process of becoming. You are becoming something. 
Every day you're growing into somebody. Did you ever meet a grumpy old person? Have you ever met a grumpy old person in your life? Don't be polite. Be real. Have you ever met a grumpy old person? You're being polite. You know, what's that movie, Grumpy Old Men? That was a good movie. I like that, right? I like that movie, Grumpy Old Men, but I don't want to become a grumpy old man, yeah? Have you seen this? I mean, these people, some, some, you know, just angry, curmudgeon. How did you get that way, yes? How does a grumpy old man become a grumpy old man? It's not like they live a peaceful life and they're just forgiving and they're kind and they're unoffended that one day, oh, now I'm grumpy. That doesn't happen, right? No. It's a series of opportunities, a series of choices. Yes? We have to stop this. We are in the process of becoming. I'm going to tell you this much. I, had, I watched this happen, okay? So I had one grandparent that chose the unoffended lifestyle, yes? And chose not to get... I watched this grandparent, as this person got older, become more peaceful, more kind, more compassionate. And I had another grandparent that went the other way, okay? So I've seen it both in my family. And I know what path I want to take. I want to take the unoffendable path. I want to become more patient when I'm older, not less. I want to become less offendable when I'm older, not more. How about you? Am I alone in this? No? So let's choose to become unoffendable so we don't become grumpy old people, yeah? Here's the other thing. As we're bringing this series to a close, as I'm attempting to land this plane here, I want to encourage you. We've talked about this several times throughout the series. I want to encourage you to focus on taking the plank out of your own eye, okay? Talked about this several times. Let me try to give you some, some context. Let me try to give you some examples of the kind of thing I'm talking about. This comes up so many times in casual conversation. It comes up so many times in counseling sessions where somebody will come to me and they'll tell me about this other person and what this other person is doing. I mean, pastor, you should know about this. What this other person is doing, it's just so annoying. So I need to change this other person. I need to change this other person because what they're doing is annoying. And this person over here, I mean, what they're doing, it just bothers me so much. This person needs to change. I need to change this person so they stop bothering me. And this person is offending me. I've got to change this person. I've got to focus my energy on this person so they stop offending me. No. No. That gets annoyed by that type of thing. You see what I'm saying? This is what it looks like to take the plank out of your own eye. And this person over here, that's just, they're just bothering me. They do this thing and it's wrong and it's bothering me. So I need to change me. Not that person. I need to change me so that I'm not bothered by that type of behavior. And this person over here that offends me, I need to change me. So that I am no longer offended by that type of behavior. You see what I'm saying? This is it. And I think the key to this whole thing Maybe you've picked up on this, but the key to living this peaceful, unoffendable life, it's found in forgiveness, perpetually practicing forgiveness. It's the key to living the unoffendable life, and perhaps it's the key to Christianity, is perpetually practicing Forgiveness. Theologian N.T. Wright describes the church as a community of people practicing 
forgiveness with a simple explanation of what it means to be the church. A community of people practicing forgiveness. This is who Christ has called and created us to be. And as one local church, as Hope Community Church, we are becoming something. So let's become a people who have given up that so-called right to be offended. Let's become a people who are committed to practicing perpetual forgiveness and in so doing, let us become a people that are filled with the genuine peace of Jesus, a people who are capable of loving others, and a people who are well-equipped to share the gospel. Let's pray on that. Jesus, I believe there's a reason that so many times you, you gave us the same teaching, the same command to love other people, to love one another, to love our neighbors, to love our enemies. You just, you just taught us that so many times all throughout the Gospels. And I believe you taught us this way of life because it's, it's best. It's what's best for us. It's what's best for other people. And yet this approach to life, it's, it's counterintuitive. We're human beings, we're self-centered, we, we want to look out for ourselves, we want to make ourselves first, put our own wants and needs above others. We want to hold on to our anger, we want to hold on to our, our own sense of justice, we want to be the judge of our other people, but we need to let that all go, God. And that's going to take a miracle. It's going to take a miracle. So Jesus, change our hearts, change our minds. Change us, God. Make us more like you, Jesus. Allow us to love sinners because we're all sinners. Allow us to love people who are outside of your boundaries. Allow us to love people who are different from us. Allow us to love everyone, Jesus. And free us from the burden of being offended. For all this in Jesus' name. Amen.